welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We're thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. So, Brett, did you watch the Sixers game last night? Parts of it, yeah. All right. On and on. So, so here's what we learned. First of all, they can beat the Nets without Joel Embiid. I think everybody can take a chill pill. It's going to be okay. It's only one game. But let me tell you, from now on, please, opponents, do whatever you can to annoy and distract and whatever you want to do to Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons was on fire last night. Ben Simmons was able to carry this team. It was great to see everybody just get into the game. Tobias Harris, J.J. Redick, everybody looked to be spacing really well during this game, and it was just impressive to see how they went. Um we're going to have Ward Manuel on any minute now, uh, the University of Michigan Athletic Director. And then Jason will be joining us from an undisclosed location. So, Jason, get ready to disclose that location once you get on the phone. Um, the Sixers, let's get back to them for a minute. The Sixers are going to win in six games. What do you think, Brett? Brett's... Uh, Yes. All right. So we got six games. I think that they're going to win maybe tomorrow night. Uh, they might lose at home. I'm hoping they don't lose at home, but let's see what's going on. So do we have Ward Emanuel on the line? Yes, you we do. do. Hey, Ward, thanks for joining us. Uh, you're welcome, Jeff. How are you doing? Uh, great. So, Ward, um, last night the Sixers, our Sixers, played uh, the New Jersey, or as I call them, the New Jersey Nets, but they're the Brooklyn Nets. Brooklyn Nets, yeah. Uh, did you watch the game at all? I did. I did watch some of it, yes. So do you, do, do you watch the game rooting for a team, or do you watch the game rooting for certain players? Because for me, as a Sixers fan, growing up as a Sixers fan, obviously I'm rooting for the Sixers, but at the same time as a Michigan guy, you can't help but look at Karis LeVert and picture the, the kid who almost looked like a toothpick coming into college and, and the man that he's become and the player that he's become. Well, you, you hit it on the head for me. Um, I Last night I was rooting uh, for Karras in, uh, in the individual player. <clears throat> I'm from New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, so, um, you know, I am by birth a Pelicans fan now. I used to be a Jazz fan when they were when I was growing up. Um, so I don't uh, – I didn't have any dog in the fight in terms of the, uh, the actual team – uh, but just was looking uh, and saw Karras played a uh, phenomenal game, uh, particularly in the first three quarters. I think they turned up the defense a little bit. He started missing some shots in the fourth quarter. But um, it was, you know, it's a great game. And, uh, you know, Philly's been making a you know a tremendous run in their sports in the last couple of years. So uh, I really like that team uh, and what they're, what they're doing on the court. And I think – the way Ben Simmons, if he keeps playing at that high level uh, throughout uh, the playoffs, they're, they're going to be hard to beat. As the athletic director at the University of Michigan, uh, what's it like to follow the players, not just when they're there, obviously, but when they leave the university? Actually, you know, it's one of my um, one of the things I talk a lot about when I talk to recruits because it's one of my favorite things about. Um, being an athletic director and coming back, <clears throat> you know, I was a uh, sports administrator here for about nine years and now I get to come back and I see 
the former players as they come back for games and they bring their families and they come up to the office and they tell me all the things they're doing in life. Um, and for me, that's so uh, rewarding uh, to see what they're doing now, the way they're uh, their their families are are doing how they're doing and the impact they're making in their uh, their uh, industry or the in their community and it just gives me a a great sense of pride. Um, I think it was Bo and that many other coaches have have said in uh, in their their span of their careers that don't judge me by just wins and losses on the field. Judge me at how these young men and women uh, turn out to be as as uh as spouses and and mothers and fathers and and uh and citizens and so that that's one of the things i take to heart and <clears throat> i just love i love watching uh our former uh student athletes as they play uh, professionally but i also love hearing the stories about what they do uh in their life after sports here one of the reasons i wanted to have you on was to talk about the the some of the positives in collegiate sports um and and the state of college sports today but one of the things our show likes to focus on is also the journey, the journey of athletes, the journey of coaches, the journey of athletic directors and, and, and people in administrations. And it, it helps people understand where people are coming from. And so I ask you, uh, how does a kid from New Orleans make his way up to Ann Arbor? <laughs> um, you know, first I had great parents who, who prepared me to – to be in a position and help me get into a position to have the opportunity to have offers to uh, go to different universities around the country. Um, you know, Bo Schembecker came down, Elliot Uslack was the recruiting um, coach, uh, offensive line coach at the time, but he recruited <clears throat> the South, excuse me, and uh, he came down. Uh, my parents really uh, loved uh, Bo uh, until the day they died uh, in what uh, they they had a sense of what he would provide for their their baby boy uh, if I took the opportunity to come to University of Michigan and it all came to fruition and they just trusted uh, that uh, it was a combination of academics and athletics which is still to this day um, what I consider the best combination in the country um, in, in across the board <clears throat> and so it was that that brought me open my eyes. And I was telling somebody yesterday, my father, uh, having been a sergeant in the Army for eight years, traveling the world a little bit, uh, he wanted me to get away uh, and, and get out um, and, and hopefully um, go outside of the state so that I can experience some of the things that he experienced uh, when he uh, left New Orleans. So what did, what did Bo say to your dad? He, I mean, he basically, you know, he... My dad was a sergeant in the army, and Bo uh -huh. uh, pretty much talked like he talked uh, in terms of what uh, the values were, the values of education, the values of hard work and determination, uh, the uh, the team aspect, the family aspect were really important, um, and, and just the, the drive to be successful in everything that you do on and off the field of play. Uh, he really wasn't, you know, he talked about me having to earn uh, the right to play. And holding uh, you accountable, the, right? Yeah, exactly. The accountability was important. So those are the things that my dad uh, taught me all my life. And so, uh, you know, I can still remember sitting in my living room 
uh, Bo next to me on the couch and my parents across uh, in the chair. And as Bo was speaking, you know, my father was smiling because he, he saw in Bo somebody who would uh, continue to help raise his son the way he's raised he raised me, uh, you know, for up to that point for 17 years. And if I recall correctly, there was a time at Michigan where uh, Bo did call, call your dad. Uh, yeah, he did. I, I didn't. Uh, I was a thousand miles away from home. I wasn't doing everything I needed to do in the first semester academically. Uh, it it came out with my grades that particular uh, first semester. The only class I ever failed in my life uh, was failed in that first semester. And my and Bo called my father from his office, and um, and basically between the two of them, uh, they woke me up to to live up to uh, the uh, live up to my ability and, and what I could do both uh, managing being a, uh, a student here at Michigan in a very uh, hard environment the professors are excellent uh, here at Michigan uh, they are demanding uh, as are our coaches on the field and so <clears throat> from that particular uh, standpoint uh, it was great I was glad uh, it happened at that point in my life uh, I woke up uh, very quickly because I had to uh, with those two gentlemen uh, really on top of me and in everything that I did uh, and it's something that I carry over now Jeff really uh, from my standpoint leading and in, in having 950 student athletes um, when one of them goes off course academically uh, they're in my office to tell me why uh, and in my career uh, I've probably called a handful of parents because the students have told me uh, my parents don't know, um, and uh, when they tell me that, then I, I can't call and tell the parents, but I can, I can tell the student student that uh, sitting in front of me that they have to call their parents in front of me and tell them what's going on. Well, that's an uncomfortable thing for the student. Oh, very, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember it too. <laughs> now, your didn't your dad write a letter to you that you still use today as motivation for other players? Yeah, he did. Um, he, he wrote a nine-page letter that I still have uh, to me uh, right after uh, he and Bo talked to me on the phone. Uh, and I still have that letter to this day. Um, and I still talk to the to the players um, and, and the student-athletes about it uh, because it's, it's something I think they need to understand how much people uh, are behind them and desire for them to – uh, live to to really take advantage of the opportunity that they have um, to uh, participate in sports and go to a great university. Uh, and so for me, that's what that letter symbolizes. That uh, it took he put his thoughts down uh, in a nine-page letter to me uh, to really make sure I understood the depth of his feelings about um, the the work ethic the things that it takes to be successful in life uh, and to take full advantage of the opportunities that existed. Um, because, you know, he, he couldn't afford to send me to Michigan if it wasn't for the uh, the scholarship to also play football and, you know, be a student and be an athlete up here. He, he couldn't afford it, and he understood the opportunity that was in front of me uh, at that time uh, better than I did. I, I fully understand it now, and I understood it shortly after – um, the the whole experience, 
uh, that first semester. But it, you know, it, it just took a while. It took that to wake me up and to really uh, make sure I knew what was important in life. It, it's interesting. I read a couple articles uh, by C. William Roden uh, saying that he had spoken to you back in 1989 and then spoke to you years later when you were athletic director. And and to see how your opinions kind of changed a little bit and were molded by uh, academics and athletics in a university setting that you had said back in 89, uh, quote, that intercollegiate athletics takes away some of your ambition for academics. Um, But you recently... Um, gave a different opinion. How did that opinion change from the time that early on that you were an athlete to now? So back then I was reflecting on the fact that, um, you know, it, if you let, if you put too much into athletics, if you, if you don't compartmentalize it, that it takes away some of that from the academic piece. Um, because Bill and I had a great conversation. I believe the, the second article came out when I was a athletic director at UConn, uh, or maybe here at Michigan, I'm, I'm not sure, but, um, it was a sense that, um, you know, if you let it, it will take full, it will take your full, uh, sort of, uh, it'll impact your life in a way that, that you won't be able to look at and really put in and invest in academics and that you got to work at that because ultimately I wanted to be very successful also on the football, on the football field. And I also learned that I needed to be very successful academically, but what, what gives you as a student, as an athlete, a lot of the attention and a lot of things that people want to talk about all the time is the athletic side. So it's one of those things where, um, you know, people uh, at times tend to not only you and having that desire to want to be the best athlete that you could be. Um, but even when you're trying to be the best student, you could be, there are others who want to talk about you being the best athlete that you could be, if you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's an evolution that uh, at the time that I, I, I talked to, uh, Bill Roden, I was actually applying or had applied uh, to a PhD program. So I was well on my way academically. Um, I was just reflecting on the fact that uh, he, that that you had to work at it uh, is what that, that really meant. So, you know, we talk a lot about the athletic side and guys going pro and women going pro, but that's not the majority of the people that are under under your athletic department and under most athletic departments, it's a small handful of people that are, that are going to be able to make careers out of being professional athletes. How do you, let's say, for example, with a football team where you have over 100 athletes, they were all the best players in their town. They all right. think that they're going to be professionals. And in today's day and age with football and people leaving, players leaving early and basketball with one and dones, how do you convince those kids that the academics is just important is just as important as the athletics well the the true benefit that exists here and exists many places and we're not unique to this is that these young men you take football these young men come in here and they already have the same um 
they have a, a same perspective that my parents had. That look, you're you're there to get an education as well, um, and they need to both be equally um, the same, if not more, emphasis placed on the academic side. So that's number one. They, these kids come in with this uh, attitude. I give a lot of the credit to the parents on the attitude of these kids coming in. So they desire to want to learn and to be successful in the classroom, and we're very proud of that. The second piece of it is our coaches recruit those types of athletes that are very good uh, students and uh, very good athletes who can succeed uh, at both. And therefore, I, you know, I knock on wood, and I'm thankful to, to them for the recruiting. And then we have great support of the faculty who teach them, uh, who don't, um, who have them uh, live up to a certain standard, the same standards as every other student. Uh, there might be some times that they miss and they may do some things differently, but the same standards exist for our, our students who participate in athletics and and those who are um, who don't participate in athletics. And so that that's something that's key here. Um, and nothing we ever asked to to be different. Uh, and so, and it's a lot of hard work by the students themselves. So when, when they get the opportunity to go pro, um, the, and it is a very small percentage uh, that, that get that opportunity to go pro or here, go to the Olympics uh, and have somewhat of an Olympic career uh, where they participate uh, in uh, competition at a high level uh, after they leave. Um, the NCAA has a commercial that says 98% of our student athletes. Now here it's probably more like 94 uh, 93, 94% of our student athletes go pro in something other than sports. So that means 6 to 7% of our student athletes are going, uh, doing something professionally uh, in sports, which is great. Uh, but it's still that 93% of our student athletes are finished with their uh, participating in athletics when they, when they leave here. Uh, and so the important part, the emphasis on a daily basis here. Uh, and by me and our coaching staff and our, our support staff is on their success academically because they're going to need that uh, once immediately once they're finished. Um, and I would even say for some of the, those who go into the pros, they're going to need it. I mean, it, you know, we teach them you got to you got to understand how the contracts work and the business side of it and, and how to understand the what people are telling you that they can provide and, and doing the math and not being taken advantage of. So we, we talk about that. So even if you go pro, you need that education that you receive here at Michigan. And to me, that education has value. Um, one of the things, because football and basketball are probably the most visible sports uh, as feeders to um, from college, it always surprises me how people seem to jump to college athletes should be paid. Uh, and and not valuing the other part of it and the fact that a majority of the athletes aren't going to go on to a pro career. Right. What, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Look, you know, the courts are, are working through a lot of that right now and trying to figure out, and, um, you know, the judge just ruled in the Alston case that, um, you know, the uh, – that it had to be tied – any payment had to be tied to education, and that's – important for us i mean we we see what we do in in scholarships and you know in football and basketball if you get a scholarship men's and women's basketball uh it's a full scholarship immediately so whether it's in state or out of state other sports you can divide them up but <clears throat> the most attention is on football and, and men's basketball and you know there there is a value 
a very strong value in the value of providing a young person an education. And um, we also put uh, a lot of emphasis on hiring the best coaches to put around them. So not only could they win on the court now, but they can also have the potential, as, as many of our student athletes have the potential, uh, in those two sports to play professionally and, and to continue uh, their dream of going into the professional ranks. Uh, but they also have great coaches around them uh, who make sure that they do what they need to do in school in case they do not, so they can be successful in life. And so for me, there is a significant value to the education. It's both personal, uh, as I said earlier, my parents couldn't have afforded to send me to the University of Michigan. Um, and so uh, I tell our kids all the time, uh, the value that you will get out of the University of Michigan, uh, long-term and short-term, uh, is going to be the value you get from the education that the University of Michigan provides. And I and I could say that at any institution that I've been at, um, that their great education uh, is their, uh, is the value that they need to extract out of the experience of being a student athlete in any sport. And so, um, you know, the idea uh, of paying them will be worked out and how we'll pay them. Uh, the judge, again, just decided it needs to be tied to to the educational um, aspects of, of um, or aspects of education, some kind of way, uh, but the rest of it, as it's on appeal, will be worked out in the court system. One of the other benefits that that I see with collegiate athletics, and it it's not just the University of Michigan, but I'm I'm involved with Mott's Children's Hospital, which is yeah. up in Ann Arbor. Uh, but you see a lot of the athletic programs involved with the communities. Uh, for example, Iowa has. A very touching thing where that where the yeah. the fans wave to the kids in the hospital, right. and yeah, people are very involved. And you see a lot of the athletes over at Mott's Hospital or other places. Is that something that the athletic department, and the coaches, uh, encourage? And and I think if if that's the case, it seems to benefit them in life. Oh yeah, we we definitely encourage it. But let me just say this: we you know we every Thursday our student athlete, and this has been decades-long tradition our student athletes go to Mott's Children's Hospital um, every Thursday night the first Thursday of this year we had 80 students show up on their own um, this is not mandated we don't say hey okay this team's gonna do it this time this is a volunteer basis by our student athletes we had 80 student athletes I believe they told me they had to turn like you know 25 or 30 of them away so that and ask them to come back, you know, the following week and rotate. Um, but it's consistent <clears throat> that we have a significant, you know, 30, 20, 30, 40 student athletes a week that go up to my children's hospital and, and volunteer on their own. Uh, the teams, they do some community projects uh, together. Uh, there's some student athlete driven uh, projects that they do um, in terms of uh, fundraising. We have a, a a program called Mock Rock, Mock Rock that raises money uh, for different charitable uh, charitable organizations around uh, the city, and uh, so they they do a lot of that. But a lot of that is self driven, and we're so proud of them for coming up with some of these concepts. And we have staff that work with them, uh, and we also have staff we're contacted uh, quite a bit about community outreach and people wanting to connect to our student athletes. 
Uh, and so it's very special, and they get a chance to uh, to do a lot of things and touch the community uh, in many ways. And that's part of their growth and development. Um, this, you know, we want them to succeed in the classroom, succeed in that, uh, athletics, and grow as young people. That's the the top three things I talk about. And that in the community uh, outreach and their community involvement uh, is one of those aspects of growing as young people to understand that it is important uh, to give back. Um, that old saying, um, you know, too much is uh, given, uh, too much, uh, as much is given to you as much as expected that you give back, in essence. Um, and that's one of the things we want uh, to teach them. All right. Well, before we let you go, um, and we really appreciate you coming on and talking about the benefits of, of collegiate athletics. Uh, Kirby, no, my pleasure. Kirby Smart today said that he was not a fan of, of the new player portal. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on the player portal? Uh, you know, I don't really have any, you know, pluses or minuses to it. I think it is what it is. I think, you know, we have an obligation to um, ensure that our student athletes are not being run off from our programs and to that they're making decisions because our coaches have been honest with them uh, about where they are. But also, you know, one of the things that I hope our student students are doing across the country uh, who participate in athletics is really making a decision uh, not only on playing time, but what's best for them academically. Uh, and I think some of these students uh, start to chase playing time in mm-hmm. uh, trying to um, to say I need to play more as opposed to I need to look at the best aspect of where I can get the best education uh, around the things I want to I see myself doing uh, in life. And so, I, you know, it is what it is at this point. Um, you know, they have the flexibility uh, to uh, decide. Uh, and I think it's a good thing, but I also think it can be a negative, uh, you know, on the individual basis if it's being done for the wrong reasons. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it doesn't always teach them uh, what's going to happen in life, which is uh, you're not always going to have success initially, and you have to work hard uh, to drive success. Uh, and you can't always, uh, you know, just decide to, uh, get up and leave uh, at a moment's notice because you're not having the success that you want uh, on an initial basis. All right. Big last question. You spend a yeah. lot of time traveling around, going oh, yeah. to a lot of different sporting events with the teams, and, and you're lucky to have, in my mind, to have some amazing coaches from John Beeline to Jim Harbaugh to Coach Hutchins with softball. How mm-hmm. many miles did Ward Manuel put on his frequent flyer program last year? Ooh. I don't know. I don't know. I'm a, I'm enough to be uh, platinum on Delta. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but whatever that number is, that's how much that's how much I've done. And um, since you know we're in the hub city here in Detroit, I fly Delta quite a bit. Um, and uh, so that that would be the answer. Enough to be platinum at the moment. All right. Well, let, let's hope that uh, you continue to travel a lot because that means that our teams are doing well. Um, yes, yes, it does. Ward, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you'll join us again sometime and have a good holiday. Jeff, 
Thank you, and uh, you too. Thank you a lot. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, Brett, let's roll to a commercial. And when we get back, we'll have our extra special guest from an undisclosed location, Jason Springer. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.NewJerseyShares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Taking you into the weekend with the latest news in the world of sports. With the biggest names on and off the field. It's the Heart of Sports each and every Friday at 4 p.m. on 610 ESPN. With former players, reporters, and commentators like Adam Schefter, John Runyon, Keith Jones, Trey Thomas, and Doug Glanville, Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen cover the agony and ecstasy of fandom while weaving in conversations about the impact of sports on society. That's the Heart of Sports, Fridays at 4 p.m. And this time we're back. Uh, we tried it before, but uh, I think we have on the line the Jason Springer. Yeah, you don't even need me anymore. Oh, come on. Didn't you hear my rambling diatribe at the beginning about Ben Simmons? I, I think did. Brett's Brett just going to continue to play the music over you. That's how, that's how radio <laughs> goes. By the way. You, you All right, Brett, so you can cut the music now. <laughs> Jason's you tried good. so hard to throw that to Brett, and he just didn't do anything for you. I felt for you. I was listening in my undisclosed location, my home, because uh, I have 16 people here tonight. And my yes, and, and I was hanging out with you in the studio. And so. to you and all our, all our listeners, a happy Passover and a happy yeah. Easter. And a happy Easter and whatever everybody's celebrating. But now I get to talk some sports with you. First of all, that was a really cool interview. Um, he was great. Yeah, I mean, look, the University of Michigan is lucky to have a guy like Ward. And, and, and he did a great job, by the way, at UConn. Uh, where he brought in Kevin Ollie after a difficult situation before he got there and won a national championship. And before that, he was at the University of Buffalo, where he brought in Turner Gill and turned a, a program that really nobody knew anything about into a, a pretty good program as far as basketball and football. And I'll be a little honest, I was a little concerned that you were going to go like all rah rah Michigan with him. I didn't, you, I didn't. You weren't. Yeah, I, you know what? I didn't even say go blue at the end. No, I was shocked. Yeah. I totally. I thought there'd be like a Michigan intro song. A little hail to. You know, oh, you know what? I, I sh- Come on, Brett. See, how do we not get hail to the victors at the beginning of this? That's what happens when I'm not there with you, Jeff. I will now have I to send a, 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 a apology to, to Ward. You can tell him next time I'll be there to play music. Yeah. That's apparently what I do. All right. Well, All right, can, can I talk some Sixers with you then? Yeah, go for it. I thought Simmons looked great last night. Brett might not know what went on, but I, I, I mean, his dominance in that game, his aggressiveness and the speed with which they moved the ball around uh, with their smaller lineup last night was something different for that team, Jeff. So you know, you know what I would you want to relate it to something Brett might understand is that as I was watching the game, I started to think of Ben Simmons as the Hulk. You don't oh, want God. him get because you don't want to get him angry because. <laughs> Whatever I love it, how you're going to movies to get Fred in on this conversation. <laughs> well, there is there is a Marvel's Avenger movie coming out next week, I believe. But uh, I think some people are going to say it. But potentially, it, it, it was you know they they had you had sent me yesterday uh, a poster of uh, Ben Simmons missing jumper. Um, yeah, 
Well, I don't think he missed anything last night. I think he missed two shots or three shots. He was the eleven whole game. of thirteen from the floor, nine of eleven from the foul line, four of six from the strike during the Hackaben stretch. Yeah, he's and, only a sixty percent free throw shooter. He's the youngest sixer to score thirty points in a playoff game since Mo Cheeks in nineteen seventy nine. And he just had a different look. You know, Ben usually has, and I'm not saying he is aloof, but there's certain players that kind of have this aloof look when they're playing. And Ben had a different look on his face. And every time he, he scored, he was staring somebody down. I was waiting yeah, for, like, red lasers to come out of his eyes. Look, let's be honest. This has been a roller coaster of a series for this team. Yeah. I mean, they, they came out in game one and laid an absolute egg and got booed out of the building. And I know you're not a fan of the boo, so I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that before I go there. Game two, they come back, and they have this amazing third quarter. Right. Game three, they don't have Joel Embiid, and all of a sudden this team has movement and spacing that they haven't had in recent games, and I know that that's an issue for you. So I want to ask you about the spacing you saw last night. I want to give you a chance to talk about the booing that you didn't like on Saturday. All right, so let's let's talk about the good first. So with last night's game, I'm not saying that Joel that the team is better off without Joel Embiid, but good. this particular matchup is one that they don't get hurt with him out there because the Nets are not a tall team. So you don't have to worry about a dominant setter. So you can play with the group of guys that they have and even make Greg Monroe look good at this point in his career. But the benefit of not having Joel Embiid in there is that if Joel's going to constantly hover outside, and I think part of it, at least for this series, is he can't get down the court because of his leg. So he stops at the foul line. By doing that, the spacing is not as good. Yesterday, by having Monroe play a more traditional center under the basket position, it definitely spaced everybody out more. And you could see that they looked comfortable in their positions, in their shots. Everything looked, I mean, look, Tobias Harris and J.J. Redick had great nights last night, and you're not always going to have those nights with them. Redick went 5 for 9. The rest of the Sixers team shot 0 for 12 from three-point land. Yeah, but this, the the starting five just looked great. Now, if I'm the Nets, I don't know why Karis LeVert wasn't in the game more, and I ha- I've kind of been confused about that all series because he's clearly be- their best player against the matchups the Sixers put up. Um, it doesn't make sense to me. Last night, LeVert had 26 points in 28 minutes with seven rebounds, a block, and two steals. It, it made no sense to me because there's nobody, apparently, that can guard him well. But as long as they want to keep playing that way, the Sixers are going to get through this. I still think six games. And I heard I, you make that call. Yeah. and I, Six games as in you think that they lose – game four or I was a little confused because it sounded like you thought they might win game four and lose I I did there part of me it was just kind of a gut and it was also rambling nonsense but it was part part (laughs) of it was kind of fill time no I no I think that I I think that the Sixers might play better on the road right now because of what happened in game one I I am tell me that you were there and you told me Look, we had Keith Pompey on the Friday, last Friday before that game, uh-huh. and Keith follows the team as close as anybody, and he had no clue what we were going to see out of that team. Yeah, and you and I said that's a reflection of 
what we've seen the last few weeks. And it, there was a lot of negativity going into that game about you know Embiid and him being out and what would we see from the team. That atmosphere was there before the game started, right, Jeff? It was there before the game started. I thought when Embiid came up for warm-ups that it would kind of lend to the excitement. You know, you had the whole... Everybody got a T-shirt, which, by the way, leads me to, I know I'm going off topic here, but, hey, people, if everyone gets a T-shirt on their chair, why are you jumping up and down when they're shooting T-shirts? You already got one. Relax. Stop with Franklin and the, the Dunk Squad's entertainment. But, Let them do their thing. But they did the whole big beginning, and they brought out – I still don't know why Bobby Jones is not being brought out to ring the bell, but they brought They're Allen Iverson. that drum until he's there. Well, he, he did just get elected to the Hall of Fame, so it does make sense. But So they yeah. brought out Allen Iverson, and that brought the crowd out. But literally within seven minutes or so, the crowd just didn't seem into it. They seemed to get tighter as the game kind of went back and forth. And then as soon the as they started – no, the, the crowd got worse as the team went back and forth. And there just was, I don't know, there was a guy sitting in front of me who, by the way, he confirmed it because he was also in front of me at game two. All he wanted to do was boo the Sixers, even though he was wearing Sixers stuff. And now, in fairness for our listeners, yeah. you are generally anti-boo. You don't believe that the boo helps. You don't see the point in doing it. Do no, you I believe that the fans had a reason to boo based on the product they saw on the court in game one? No, because they had an off day. Guys weren't shooting their best. I don't think that anybody was sitting around not giving max effort. And okay. and that here but here's the problem. When you're injured, you look like you're not giving max effort. So when Embiid is in the game, remember he had 20 plus points on basically on one leg. But at the same time, it is obvious that he cannot get down the court, so he's basically playing from foul line to foul line. And and that's messing everybody up. So disorganization can look like uh, a lack of effort, but so it's if you're not. Brett Brown, do you sit Embiid game four, or is it you know his knee's going to be sore whether he plays or not? It's going to be hit and miss day by day, and you go up. You're up two one in the series. Clearly, his health long term in this these playoffs is a concern. But at the same time, the weight of not playing on that body and him not being active, also not helpful. What do you do if you're Brett Brown? I play him if he can play. But I, but I say to him, look, Joel, the expectation is, is that you are not playing from foul line to foul line. If you cannot play under the basketball basket and you don't feel comfortable with that, then sit another game. But, you know, let's let's see if we can get the knee right. But if, if he's not going to – if he's going to play halfway – in this series, I'm not saying for the whole playoffs, in this series they might be better off because of the lack of size by the Nets. But I will tell okay everybody that? that's listening, if you think that booing your own team is going to motivate them, you're wrong. It's not going to. They are professional athletes for a reason. And and booing them, it, it just, I'm telling you, I was texting some other reporters and, and I'm sitting there going, is it just me? Or is there just a bad vibe in this building? No, Keith and, was tweeting out that there was a bad vibe in the building. If you were following on Twitter and you weren't at the game, and you could hear it, the, the pensiveness in the crowd. Now, in fairness, if I boo you, would that make you do a better intro next time? No. All right. I mean, I just figured it was worth it. You're shot, welcome to spend the week booing me, but go ahead. I mean, we'll I see. thought I'd do that anyway. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> any other matchups that have got your attention so far in these playoffs? Well, Joe Harris, at least yesterday, did not look good at all. Um, 
I'm the one who should be on a sign right now. Yeah, I mean, well, but the, but the other guy that's impressed me is Boban, and it's not just because of his play under the baskets. It's all of a sudden he has a shot from the from the foul line that doesn't seem to miss, and people seem to love watching him shoot it. Boban put up 14 points at eight rebounds last night, and look, they needed those minutes. I know that you praised Greg Monroe. Um, that's not the matchup that I prefer to see in the game. I, I, I was texting you. I never thought I'd be asking for Amir Johnson. But, well, but, uh, but so I did not. I let it go when you I were texting you me because I didn't understand where you were at that particular moment that you sent that to me. It, Monroe was playing I, well. I so, thought that there were opportunities for second chances where rebounds were not gotten. I thought there were times that he shot that he didn't need to. Thankfully, they covered for it with their three-point shooting. But I, I have been surprised with the Monroe acquisition, getting rid of Patton, uh, sitting Amir. I, I just I've been surprised by that based on how the team played all season. It worked out last night. So who am I to question Brett Brown? You got to you got to think that there is something with Amir, some injury or something that we just don't know about because Amir hasn't played at all. I mean, yeah. Regardless of what you what anyone thinks of him he can give them five to ten minutes good minutes a game and he's not getting any question did you care that he was texting during game one well i didn't see it until afterwards to be fair because for my seats i can barely see uh, but i texted you and told you that was going to become a big story yeah you (laughs) did yeah you did but you know have i don't understand why he had his phone i get that his his daughter was supposedly sick i don't blame joel by the way all he did was look down um you can't blame him because someone's got a phone there and he looks it's not like he was playing Fortnite on his phone he was he was texting his wife but he shouldn't have had it on the sideline if he wanted to go back and and if he's not playing he could go back walk into the tunnel and look it was it was the the appearance that makes it so bad. But and look, if if they're blowing out the nets, even the appearance doesn't nobody make cares. Problem. Right. The way that they lost, they made that, and then Ben's reaction after the game to the response from the crowd an even bigger story. Right, which but, Ben can't do that. But he but I realized that on the day after. Yeah, but I I'll, I'll say I think Brett Brown handled it well, and I think Elton Brand handled it well. I mean, Elton Brand has, as far as I'm concerned, exceeded expectations as a general manager in his first season. He's handled the players the right way. Uh, he's handled acquisitions the right way. Even, you know, I know you don't think Greg Monroe is a great player, but for a guy that gets pulled off of not being on a team four games before the playoffs are about to start, it's worked out pretty well for at least when they've needed him. And look, I mean, they clearly knew that they may need another big body, whether it was based on Embiid's health or they were just looking at matchups. And so Elton Brand has not sat still all season. If, you're, if you come from the mindset of, I want to win now and go for it, Elton Brand is your man. Yeah. I mean, he is going for it now. That, that's what he's done with this team, with the trades they made. You watch Landry Shamit out at the Clippers and the trade there. Markel Fultz, who nobody wanted in the city, now in Orlando. You know, he made the moves to go now. By the way, I might want him back instead of Jonathan Simmons. <laughs> That's the reason I <laughs> threw it out there. I, I knew that I'd get you to drop that live on so, there. So is Elton Brand the best Bluecoats uh, transition so far? Yeah, I mean, look, I think in the end it'll end up, I think Shake Milton will surpass him. 
Um, I just think Shade Milton's going to be a very good player for this team. How, and how is Zaire Smith not getting minutes? Because it seems to me the Sixers' biggest weakness so far is defense. Uh, I understood it that they wanted to have James Ennis back active last night. But when Ennis isn't active and you don't have that experience, I don't understand how Zaire Smith is not on it's, the court. Especially ahead of Jonathan Simmons. I mean, I mean, is, Zaire Smith yeah. may not... And, and by the way, we've seen him in the G League. He can shoot. He, he's not a great shooter yet, but he clearly is yeah, I mean, working his on it. He's not there yet, but he can give you a couple of minutes. Uh, I'm, you and I his defense is. His defense, yeah. he would be good to come in and shut them down at some point because there are. One of my problems with the Sixers all season is they can't seem to just step on the throat and, and put a team away. That they, they let people hang around. And to me, well, it's not the offense, it's the defense. They did that in game two. Yeah. They, that third quarter, which which again allowed them to do what everybody wanted. They were allowed they were able to rest their starters in the fourth quarter. Granted it led to Embiid sitting anyway in, in game three, but you know, and are by you the way, the, the other series out there? And by the way, the mojo in that in that one, game two, because I was there for that one, was much better from the outset. Totally different. Which is odd considering they had just lost the previous game. Yeah, totally, totally different. I've enjoyed the the Warriors Clippers series. I'm having fun watching that. Yeah, one. but to me, the best series to watch, I, other than our own, is is the uh, Portland Trailblazers Caesar series. They're a they're a good team. I, you know, I know that they lost one of their better players, but I don't know. I, I Charles Barkley said yesterday that he thinks the uh, Blazers are going to make the finals. I wouldn't bet against the Blazers right now. They just seem to have it going it on, on all cylinders, and I think that they could. They could knock out the Golden State Warriors. San Antonio's given the Nuggets a run for their money, too. Yeah. Got another win last night. Who would have so. thunk it? I can't, can uh, you name two people on San Antonio other than DeRozan? Not their team now. Yeah, they have right. so many new faces there. I mean, this, this was a, a step back year for them, you thought. But, I mean, look, they're in at the seventh seed and they're there playing. So. All right. So, so, let's, so let's get to the next one. We got the Phillies. And a lot okay. of stuff happened in the last couple of days. The first of which, happened. yeah, the first of which is the All-Star game. And it's pe- official. It's official, which is, gr- by the way, it's great. It makes total sense that in Philadelphia, the birthplace of America, the, on the 250th anniversary, we're going to have the All-Star game here. By the way, there's going to be nowhere to go around the city. The traffic's going to be uh, quite a mess because I can't imagine how many events, not just MLB, but just that summer, how many events are going to be around the city. It's going to be amazing. Just Does that don't, mean that I have to don't keep drive. doing this show with you for seven more years so I have something to talk about then? If you'd like, I'd like to. See, that's really how I judge what events are coming up, how long <laughs> we hang out. So. But, but that's <laughs> great. But in the meantime, the Phillies have already started making moves. And to me, instead of it a sign of panic, to me that's a sign that the Phillies have decided we're winning now and we're not going to be patient and it's okay. And it's okay because of the way they have the minor leagues stocked. And I still think so they'll make another move. The move. You're talking about the move last week after he struggled in his latest outing, sending Nick Pavetta down to AAA. Correct. Uh, Jared, Jared Eikhoff was brought up and pitched four innings of scoreless baseball, and mm-hmm. they decided to slide him into the rotation. That's what you're talking about there, Yeah, right? and, and also they brought up Roman Quinn. I don't know if Odubel if his injury was bad enough to be placed on the 10-day DL, but 
But the Phillies are saying, hey, look, we got guys that can fill that can fill in that'll be just as good. So you put a double on, let him get healthy, and now you bring Roman Quinn up, which also avoids another problem they're going to have to deal with in a couple weeks, which is somebody's got to go. It's either going to yeah, be Nick Williams or Aaron Altair or Roman Quinn, and two of them don't have options. So the only person who can go back to the minors without the Phillies losing them is going to be Nick Williams. And if Nick Williams goes to the minors, I have a feeling you're going to lose him emotionally. So the Phillies are 11-7 and seven now. They're in first place in the NL East. They lost last night to Colorado, but they took two out of three from the Mets, two out of three on the road from the Marlins. You concerned with the amount of innings this bullpen's pitching, David Robertson now to the DL? No, I, I'm not worried about the bullpen right now. It's it's way too early in the season. It, for the most part, even even in back in the day, um, the, the days that I wish for, the starters did not go long innings at the beginning of the season because you had to build your way up. It was nice to see Jake Arrieta go. I was going to say I, I was there for that uh, business person special on Wednesday. Arietta was dealing. They didn't have a ball leave the infield until the home run that he gave up in like the sixth or seventh inning. Yeah, that was, was it. Was just I mean, old school Arietta. So you'll laugh. I went to the game with a Mets fan friend, and somehow we ended up <laughs> that's, in like a that's Mets not funny. section. That's wrong. It was it was hilarious though sitting in the section because the fanatic came over and had a really good time with those fans, which we ended up on TV somehow. Mm-hmm. But they were going nuts because they just kept having these dead balls hit to the shortstop and the third baseman off Arietta's bat because he was pitching a contact and getting these grounders. It wasn't even hard hit. They were like, is the grass long? The ball's moving so slow there. And I'm like, well, that's what he does. He pitches to contact when he's on. That's what he's doing. He well, was it wasn't, it wasn't just that. It was movement on his pitches. And you usually yep. can't see that unless you're behind home plate. But on TV, which is where I was watching it, uh, you could literally see the movement on his ball which meant that the bat they couldn't square up the bats. And so yeah. everything that it gets to your point, but it was amazing to watch how much movement he had on his pitches. And I think that also it, comes with warmer weather. Balls just don't move as much heart, in cold weather, huh? Did it warm your heart that they let him try and go out there for the ninth? Yes. I, in fact I <laughs> I think that they should have I mean, look, even the even the hit wasn't a hard hit ball, and I would have left no, them in. Oh, it hit off of him. Right. So I would have left them in, but that's just okay. me. But you could see they kept showing Kapler's reaction even before that ball was hit. And, and you could, if you put the little cartoon bubble over his head, you could see that Gabe Kapler saying, Oh, no, I can't have a starter go to the ninth inning. I mean, <laughs> he just had this look of concern on his face. So well, you knew that the even- second something happened, he was going to take him out. He had a short leash at that point. And look, you want to talk about a nervous ballpark. The minute that he came out and the Phils went to that bullpen, uh-huh. the people were, people were nervous. I mean, Adam Morgan hit somebody and then got his out. Uh, Neris came in, hit somebody. All of a sudden, you got two men on, and everybody in the stadium's like, oh, my God, what's going on here? Well, keep in mind, out. Austin Davis hasn't given up a run in AAA, so I would suspect that he'll be up soon if somebody struggles. I was surprised that they didn't bring him up uh, when Robertson went on the DL. I, I know they, so they brought up Gosselin, which for our listeners who aren't familiar, that's a local boy. That's a fun story right there, if yeah. you want a good story. From the area, he's played on five Major League Baseball teams. But, Jeff, I told you this last night on our High Hope show. There's pictures of him from a news story at the vet when he's a young kid watching games. And his mom apparently went to the game when she was pregnant with him, and the fanatic rubbed her belly. 
So that's a that's a Philly right there. It is, but and and it is a feel good story, but unfortunately, reality says to me it won't be a long down. lasting story. And, and no, yeah, there there just isn't room for for him as long as the rest of the infield is healthy. Um, it's all kind right. it's kind of Brock Stasi all over again. Who, by the way, we got to see this weekend. We did. We were out yeah. at Reading, and and if you missed our high hopes Phillies minor league rundown last night. Uh, we had an 18-minute interview with Mickey Moniak, the number one draft pick in 2016 of all Major League Baseball. Jeff, we enjoyed talking to him a lot. I thought he gave a great interview. I just think he's more comfortable in his skin at this point, more mature, and I think it's going to lead to a much better season. And if you want your baseball, minor league baseball, or snarky news, you can follow Jeff at Snarky News. He runs that account, <laughs> and he is always taking on teams out there. He's putting out stats. You want to learn a little bit about the guys in the minor system. Jeff is there for you. Well, I just had a little. How about, how about that plug for you? There you go. Well, I had a little culture shock because uh, my son's on um, spring break, and we said, "Hey, let's go on Sunday and see a ball game." And looked around to find out that the Phillies farm system takes the day off. You so, got to go to Wilmington now. So, so we decided, hey, you know what? We haven't been to the Bluecoats because their season's over. So we'll head back to Wilmington and maybe we'll see a Blue Rocks game. I saw you put out the bat signal to see if you could get Cody there from the Bluecoats. That's right. Cody should be there. I did. Yeah. Uh, I saw that. So you'll let me know whether the, the horse shows up. I will. Um, <clears throat> before you hang up on me, can, do you want to talk football or can we talk right, to hang up on him. Huh? Where do you want to go? You well, I look. Is there really anything football? to talk about with the draft until the draft actually happens? Because because here here's here's what here's what I've I've learned about all the draft talk from all the draft experts is really it means nothing because nobody in any organization is going to give any real information to an insider because they want to give misinformation so other people don't draft the guys that they want. I'm shocked you're not taking the opportunity to talk draft. This is the guy that still makes fun of me for trying to defend Donnell Pumphrey since we were on the air when he We was will taken. be on during the draft next week, and we and can talk will, draft during it. you will criticize my uh, critique of players then as well? And, well, I don't think the Eagles are going to be taking a running back while we're on the air. That's my prediction. I don't, I don't think so, yeah. but we shall see. Uh-huh. Do you see the schedule for this year? Yeah, it's uh, pretty good. Live primetime games uh-huh. on the road three weeks in October. I wonder why they're on the road three weeks in October, Jeff. Anybody think there's going to be a lot of action at the Well, game? it's already come out. They're blaming the Phillies, which is a bad problem. Yeah. I mean, a good problem to have. They got a bye in week 10, and then they closed the season with four games against NFC East opponents, including the Giants, twice. Thoughts on the matchups, what they have. I like the bye later in the season. They play New England coming off of the bye at home. Um, New England will also come off of a bye, so that should be a good game. Any other thoughts on what you saw with the schedule? No, because there's another thing that I hate. I hate when guys go through the schedule week by week now. I didn't ask you to make your picks. I just asked for thoughts. I got no thoughts. It's a schedule. No, no, go back. I want you to say that full thought. I got no thoughts. And then Brett, I'm not in studio. But if I Brett, didn't if you say could, if you could clip get that out of here. Jeff, you know, <laughs> I could press this button any second. I like this. I like this look. You're enjoying the power chair there. Okay? I am I very much so. Posted. And Brett, Brett's having a good time watching me just like sit there holding the button. Well, yeah, this to is just, a new uh-huh. view for you. you get yes. to look across and see. It's Brett, like it's like the eject button. <laughs> you ejected me out of the studio. <laughs> well, we we mentioned we were at Reading last week, yeah. and um, we were there during Tiger's final round. 
I loved how many TVs and laptops were streaming Tiger's final holes. All of them. Uh, all of them. All Everybody. Of them. Everybody's phone, everybody's laptop. Band. Yep. And look, the rating showed almost 11 million viewers on Sunday morning, the most watched morning golf presentation in history. Mm-hmm. Even the the replays are getting huge views. Did you watch, Jeff? The replay? Did you watch? You were in the box. You caught a little bit. Oh, I, I watched it while I was live. I don't watch replays of golf. What was the coolest thing about that for you? I just think that that a guy who people have kind of written off, who was a great, great golfer, coming back and having that moment again is is an amazing thing. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm not a Tiger hater. I'm not I'm not a guy who's a a Tiger big fan either. I appreciate how great a golfer he is, and to have that one more moment. I saw that he sent a a very touching text to his caddy afterwards, and it's those kind of moments that that make sports in general great. His it, emotions after this win, it just seemed like after everything that he's gone through, he appreciated this one more. And for me, I like the symmetry of his first Masters win. He went off and hugged his dad. Now as a father who's gone through his own stuff, he hugged his seven-year-old when he got off the course. To me, that was just a pretty cool story. You it, don't write things like that. It, it is It is touching. I mean, if we could go into, unfortunately, we don't have time now, but we could go into it. Tiger created his own mess, though, so it, yep. it, it's hard for me to say the comeback was so great because of that particular issue. Well, but people do like to see somebody take advantage of a second chance. Right. And, and he, he has. did that. Yeah. He's, he's taken advantage of it to its full effect. Jeff, are you going to kick me off the air now? Or are you going to keep me hanging No, around? not yet. Brett's still waving his fingers and, and making all sorts of signs, so you can still talk. 58, 50 years ago. So we're not done yet? <laughs> Now Brett says I still have time. You still have time? Do you yeah. know how to tell time? I know I normally handle this. I, way, I can so. tell time. Yeah, that's not a problem. Just I, making sure. Hey, by the, the way, by the way, tomorrow I will be heading down to the Union game. I was going to ask if you were yeah. going down. They play Montreal at 1 p.m. Uh-huh. There's actually a doubleheader if you want to stay. It's the first time they have a Union Steel doubleheader. I will. I would, but I have to be somewhere tomorrow night. Have, so I, I will be down. I will be down there to watch. Brendan Aronson, who was the star of the Steel, which was their minor league team that will play afterwards, and now is one of the stars of their major league club that is in playoff position. So, um, you know, for those that kind of wrote off the union from a couple years ago, this team is really, really good. And I don't know how many times I have to say it, um, but they are really good, and it looks like they're going to add a couple more teams. Yeah, they're going to add two more teams, expanding to 30 teams in the league. Looks like Sacramento and St. Louis is what they're trying to add. Yeah. I mean, it's a league that continues to grow. All right. Well, guess what? we got to wrap it up. So for everybody out there, have, have an amazing holiday. Jason, you too.